I can't speak for every university, but we pay our, our guest lecturers well. I mean, it would depend obviously on what the, the topic was, but we're always open to people approaching us. Personally, I would love it if people emailed me more to say, you know, I, I'm interested in getting some experience guest lecturing and this is what I could offer. Most nutritionists and dietitians are very used to public speaking and speaking to different groups of people and actually speaking to students is, is no different. And they're usually just so curious. They have loads of questions anyway. So you don't even feel like you're, you're teaching on a guest lecture quite often it's more of a conversation hello and welcome to the nutrition business secrets podcast i'm joe cunningham i'm claire hitchin and i'm zoe whitman we're the founders of well connect the platform bringing you everything you need to know to grow a thriving nutrition business we're passionate about the nutrition industry and we're on a mission to give other nutrition professionals the confidence and tools you need to build the business of your dreams without the overwhelm. We've got you covered from practical strategy advice, meaningful marketing, social media, knowing your numbers and so much more. Get ready to skyrocket your nutrition business with the help of industry experts. This is the Nutrition Business Secrets Podcast. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. Today I'm joined with Dr. Kathy Redfern, who is currently the programme lead for the Nutrition, Exercise and Health BSc at the University of Plymouth, which is an accredited course by the Association for Nutrition. In today's episode, we're going to be covering what it's like working in academia. So that's lecturing as well as everything else that goes alongside working at a university. We're going to talk about how someone might get into guest lecturing and how that can fit around your freelance work. And Kathy's also going to share some of her top tips for some of those new graduates out there who are wanting to get into the nutrition space. Hi, Kathy. It's really nice to have you here today. Do you want to give yourself a little bit more of an introduction? Yeah. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my name's Kathy. I'm a at the University of Plymouth, have been for, gosh, I think it's about seven years coming up, and did my PhD there as well. I'm a registered nutritionist in public health. Tell us a little bit about your journey from when you from when you qualified as your registered nutritionist to to gaining your PhD and then becoming a lecturer. Talk us through that journey a little bit. Yeah, so I actually did my degree back, I think it was when accredited degrees were just sort of in their infancy. So I actually didn't do an accredited degree. So I had to apply for portfolio for registered associate nutritionist status when I finished my degree in, it was called exercise, nutrition and health then at the University of Plymouth. And then I went on and did a master's in sport and exercise medicine at the University of Exeter. I think at the time I thought I wanted to go into kind of sports nutrition, but actually what that master's taught me was that actually I didn't want to go into sports nutrition that I wanted to focus more on public health I was really interested in women's health in particular so at that point decided to do a PhD and I did actually decide to self-fund that which is with hindsight I don't think I really realized that there were other options out there but I did I came back to Plymouth which is where I I live lived at home and kind of worked a bit freelance a bit in a leisure centre as a personal trainer and funded the PhD myself to begin with and that was looking at weight gain in pregnancy about halfway through that and decided to go part-time with it because I was kind of realizing actually it was getting the work was ramping up and I needed another kind of source of income and I was really lucky at the time that my boss had just got promoted and there was some teaching going at the University of Plymouth so I got a job as a teaching and research associate which enabled me to do my PhD part-time and my yeah get some teaching experience really so I finished my PhD then 
in 2018 and at that point then I carried on with my teaching and research role uh, but eventually as I kind of gained more teaching experience was lucky that they made me a permanent lecturer at Plymouth and then my boss got promoted again to head of school and I was able to apply then for the program lead role so I now lead the accredited nutrition exercise and health program at the University of Plymouth which is actually a new sort of version of the degree that I did originally back in well I graduated in 2011 so yeah that's kind of me in a nutshell and and how was it doing your PhD whilst also working is that something that you'd recommend to others to do it that sort of way well for me it, it did work out quite well so I because I was working with pregnant women and I was doing a study that was based within an antenatal clinic within the NHS it took quite a long time to write the proposal write the protocol and get ethics through the NHS so for that first year I was pretty much doing kind of literature review ethics applications having the occasional meeting research and development within the NHS and actually yeah working freelance really nicely fitted around that it was only really I guess as I say my my PhD project involved recruiting women from antenatal clinic and then visiting them in their homes to measure them so at that point I needed to start to fit around the women who'd volunteered to be in my study and they were tending to want me to go to them after work in the evening and that was when I was seeing my freelance clients so at that point I thought actually this isn't going to go side by side so that's kind of when I needed to make a change but up until that point and I guess depending on the you know if people are thinking about doing a PhD and working part-time you know you can design a PhD study that potentially could fit around freelance work it was just that the nature of my study sort of went in a different direction and and wasn't possible to do that anymore yeah and and it's something that I think a lot of nutrition professionals might have on their sort of wish list how did you decide then that you that you wanted to go into teaching rather than continuing with your freelance work so I think when I came out of my master's I was a little bit lost for a while and wasn't really sure what to do um it was it was around the that first recession as well so well not first recession there's been lots of recessions but I you know there weren't that many jobs around and I at one point thought I might like to go into teaching in a in a school environment so I thought about teaching sort of a level food nutrition or possibly science but I did a bit of work experience in schools and thought I you know didn't feel like the right kind of setting and I wanted to work with adults and really wanted to focus on teaching something that I I was really passionate about so I did go into the PhD kind of thinking I want to teach I don't think I knew at that point that I would like it necessarily but as I got more and more experience during my PhD I kind of started to realize that although I really like the research side of academia and I and I do still do research for me I think my kind of purpose maybe is more in helping educate you know the new generation of nutritionists and dietitians that are coming through and I just find that so rewarding seeing students graduate and seeing what they go on to I I just love so I think yeah it was it was that really yeah so it sounds like you found your calling yeah and and I don't think look it's trying to think back on when I did my dietetics degree I can't think that there were any modules or training specifically on on those who are thinking about running their own business it was very much aimed towards working in the NHS is that similar to the the course that you're working on as well yeah so I teach on three different programs so we have our accredited associated nutrition accredited undergrad and masters and then we also have our BSc dietetics 
And things are changing. You know, it's by no means a focus of any of those degrees. But there are little elements that are coming in as we're kind of recognising more and more that, you know, nutrition and dietetics is so diverse. There's so many different areas that you can go into. So I know on our dietetics programme, we've got a final year module that kind of looks at leadership and sustainability. And there's a, a little bit in there kind of exploring different options. They do quite a lot of case studies on different dietitians who've gone in different directions. And then in our AFN accredited programmes, We tend to do it with guest lectures and get people who are working freelance, you've got successful freelance careers, to come in and talk to the students. I know we've got a workshop coming up in a couple of weeks for students to kind of explore those options. It used to be me that kind of taught it, but I've been out of freelance for quite a few years now, so I don't really feel like I can, you know, do it justice. But yeah, we we have elements, but I think there's, you know, that's partly why we'd love to hear from people who would like to get lecturing experience as, as guest lecturers because you know better to get people that are you know living and breathing freelance work to come and inspire the next generation of nutritionists and dietitians who might want to go down that that avenue and does anyone need to have any kind of teaching experience to do that sort of guest lecturer role no when I first started out I should mention actually I did some guest lecturing at another local university and I had no experience at that point especially when we're getting someone to give a specialist lecture on their specialist subject I mean it would we would never expect a guest to kind of come in and you know lead a whole module but you know for for one-off lectures no no experience needed and I think yeah that's what maybe puts people off they think that they need a teaching qualification or that there's something different about teaching than presenting but most nutritionists and dietitians are very used to public speaking and speaking to different groups of people and actually speaking to students is is no different and they're usually just so curious they have loads of questions anyway so you don't even feel like you're you're teaching on a guest lecture quite often it's more of a conversation so no 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 experience I think getting that first guest lecture if you're interested in teaching is is that sort of fit on the ladder and and how does someone go about finding that kind of exposure if they want to sort of dabble in the world of of lecturing well personally I would love it if people emailed me more to say you know I'm interested in getting some experience guest lecturing and this is what I could offer and you know I I mean I can't speak for every university but we pay our our guest lecturers well I mean it would depend obviously on what the the topic was but we're always open to people approaching us and quite often as well there's things that we need to cover as part of the curriculum that you know we're not all experts in and sort of a team of about four of us on the undergraduate AFN accredited course that I run and you know we're quite diverse but we're not that diverse so you know if we can get somebody who's a specialist in we're always happy to hear from them so I would just say if it's something anybody listening is thinking they'd you know like to try out email program leads either in your local area or you know actually now since the pandemic we have quite a lot of our guest lecturers speak to our students over zoom so that's perfectly possible as well if you are sort of local then often universities are happy to pay travel expenses as well so I would just say you've got nothing to lose and just yeah send that email and you never know that's that's good advice I think sometimes people don't know where to contact how to get on with it and yeah I mean I know yes like you said we we have experience doing presentations to groups of patients I think sometimes it might feel a bit more overwhelming presenting to other nutrition professional wannabes but I think for some people it would be you know it's just second nature to them and it's it's just finding that experience isn't it Mm, yeah for sure 
do you do you think sort of when thinking about like current curriculums I know obviously it varies a little bit across the country and across the course but do you think there are any anything missing from like the current curriculums that you specifically thinking about those who are wanting to work freelance rather than going into sort of the NHS or or public health settings I think it's difficult because I think there's so much that both nutritionists and dietitians have to be taught um you know that is essential for you know going into the NHS as a band five dietitian and I guess that is traditionally what a dietetics degree program is training students to do although obviously things have changed quite a bit since um the NHS no longer fund you know the fees for for dietetics students they've got the bursary but you know there's always been options to go and do other things other than than the NHS but I guess the programs were designed with the NHS in mind but I yeah I mean personally I'd love to see more kind of diversity in terms of what we're able to encourage students to go to go on to the both the AFN and the BDA have recently updated the curriculum so it'll be quite interesting to see kind of how you know different institutes respond to that and what additional modules maybe get packed into programs the AFN have just recently updated their standards and universities have got until 2025 to kind of incorporate the changes so there will be changes coming some things there's less importance on which I guess will create space for additional modules we're certainly looking at redesigning a couple of modules on our program at the moment to try and I guess keep up with the times there's such a focus now on sustainability the different roles within you know I guess when we used to think about freelance we used to just think about working one-on-one with clients but there's so many different kinds of portfolio careers that nutritionists and dietitians can have just giving them exposure to professionals that have those types of careers can be really valuable as well and social media I mean when I was at university there was Twitter but you know there was no you know we just had to know what we could and couldn't say in public but you know it's a minefield now social media so training for social media yeah there's quite a lot I think that would be really exciting to see but I guess it's who's going to teach it and actually that's possibly where guest lecturers would come in yeah I think and I mean I, I was thinking back to when I first qualified and and you know, I just knew that I, I was going to go into the NHS because that was sort of standard practice back mm. then, wasn't it? And I think it's still really important, actually, for a lot of nutrition professionals to get that clinical experience first before they go off on their own anyway. But I do know a lot of successful nutritionists who have gone straight into private practice. What sort of tips would you have for someone who's newly qualified or, or maybe has got you know, a good level of experience and they're thinking about wanting to start their freelance journey? I think... I mean, when I think back to when I first went freelance, I feel like I was actually really unprepared. And I, I almost kind of cringe sometimes with how I, I guess, marketed myself and the, I didn't have an awful lot of confidence in terms of if a client approached me, if they were outside my scope of practice, I would immediately kind of send them on their way to somebody else, which basically meant that I just dealt with a lot of, a lot of kind of weight loss clients that you know I wasn't really that interested in so what I would probably say is find yourself a mentor first of all somebody who's got experience and really try and you know if you can get experience shadowing so that you can see how somebody might run a clinic how they might deal with and speak to clients in in different settings just so that you can see what that might look like in terms of how somebody might go from that initial contact 
with a client right through to kind of follow up I kind of remember when I started that I thought there was kind of a specific formula that you kind of had to follow and then as I got more experienced I kind of thought actually why am I doing it like this it doesn't make sense people would come to me asking for meal plans and that wasn't something I really felt comfortable doing but because I was new and I thought that's what was expected of me that's what I ended up doing so I think in an ideal world people would have a mentor and perhaps go and work under another person's clinic to begin with rather than maybe setting up completely independently which I think is probably a lot easier nowadays with you know people working remotely and on hosting zoom clinics whereas when I started off it was 2011 it was all face-to-face it was expensive to hire a, a you know a room to host your clinic so I was kind of doing all of my consultations in Starbucks and and things so yeah no I think getting you know seeing if you can shadow somebody would be my number one tip and also just reading up on you know reminding yourself what is within your scope of practice and what isn't especially if you're a newly qualified registered associate nutritionist really you do need to be working and being be being supervised by an R nutra but also I guess just making sure that you're clear on you know professional indemnity insurance tax how much you know you're going to need to charge I know I definitely undercharged quite a bit when I started off didn't kind of take into account the fact that I was paying for nutritional analysis software that I was paying for parking that I was paying for the coffees for me and the client and, and all of those things and yeah so I think yeah with a mentor I guess a lot of those things you would learn before you maybe make those mistakes but equally I suppose it doesn't do you any harm to kind of learn early on what you would and wouldn't do yeah I think it is quite a steep learning curve at the moment there is this big big trend of working for yourself rather than maybe working for others which I think is amazing and it's really empowering but also working for yourself you have to become an expert in business almost as as well because you have to understand that every time you take money you have to save some of that money to pay your taxes and um, you do have overheads that you have to cover and you have to think about what expenses are allowable and not allowable and those sorts of things you know we're not all I I was an accountant in my past so I've got some of that knowledge behind (laughs) me but I am really aware that that is quite a rare situation for for an accountant to become a dietitian but um, that's that's something that I'm really passionate about is making sure that people understand their financial position and what their what their financial goals are and how to budget and make a forecast I think that's that's for me that's something that is really missing the social media side of thing I think that that is almost you can kind of learn that as you go but and there are obviously clear strategies that that you can pick up and that Claire on our team um teaches for, for people but but the financial side of it, I think people almost forget it sometimes. They forget to, that they've got targets that they have to meet and, and you know, they've got, they've got a household that they potentially might have to run. So that that's something that I am particularly passionate about. I'd add to that that even though we can't teach, oh, well, yeah, we don't teach that on the nutrition dietetics programs you know you never you never know maybe one day but most universities do have kind of enterprise or self-employment hubs where there are experts who are encouraging students to you know go out and start their own businesses and usually those are accessible to alumni as well for a number of years after graduating so if anybody does need help with that it's worth getting back in touch with the career service at your university and seeing if they have any free resources or schemes you know, there's lots of courses that usually you'd pay quite a lot of money for but are actually free 
through universities. So uh, yeah, check those out. If anyone listening is thinking that they need help with that, that could be an option. That's a really good bit bit of advice. I don't know if that was around when I was was qualifying, and if it was, it wasn't advertised well mm. enough. I know, and I know that the freelance dietitian group does have information about making a business plan. I personally think it's in need of updating, a bit of revamping, bringing it in into the into the sort of present. Thinking then about if people do want to dive into the world of teaching, what sort of qualifications? would they need I know you said that to be a guest speaker you might not need any qualifications but if someone wants to go down sort of the teaching route what qualifications would they have to have and is it something that they could do whilst also running a freelance clinic I would say yes I think it really depends on the university and the kind of position that you're wanting to go into so particularly if you're a dietitian a lot of the time universities are looking for people with clinical experience So they want people that have got a few years of experience either within the NHS or, you know, in a different role. So if you look, usually if you're looking for like lectureships, it might be that you you see that they're asking for a PhD and this, you know, number of years research and this number of publications and all of this. But actually, we're quite lucky in nutrition and dietetics in that the focus isn't always on the academic side and the research side is actually on you and your experience. So quite often when we're advertising for say a lecture in dietetics particularly if it's more in kind of dietetic practice rather than say something like physiology or biochemistry then quite often there won't be any requirement to have a PhD there won't be any requirement to have you know publications it will be on the individual and actually often once a dietitian is in post then there might be opportunities to do a teaching qualification or a PhD on a part-time basis So it might come eventually, but it wouldn't be necessary for somebody to make the move to academia, which is why I kind of say getting guest lecturing experience can be really valuable because that tells you whether or not you like teaching. And then actually, if you were to see a a position advertised somewhere, you know, you've got nothing to lose but by applying. So once you're kind of in post, universities do like you to have a teaching qualification which kind of makes sense. You've kind of got your professional qualification in nutritional dietetics, but actually, you know, training us up to actually be able to teach effectively is really important. And I remember thinking when I was doing mine that, you know, usually what happens is you get thrown in the deep end, you start teaching and then your teaching qualification comes a bit later and you think, well, I'm already doing it. But actually it does make such a difference in terms of learning how different people learn, different strategies and just also keeping things fresh for you because doing two hours of didactic lecturing is really tiring and can get a bit boring for you as a lecturer so having different kind of strategies in your sort of toolkit to keep things fresh is really good so usually you'd start off with a smaller kind of module that would teach you the basics of teaching which would then allow you to register with advanced HE which is like the higher education academy as an associate fellow and then down the line you might do a slightly longer qualification or a portfolio that would get you full fellowship with the HEA so anybody that's ever done an AFN portfolio it's kind of similar actually in terms of just putting all of your experience into a portfolio reflecting on it and showing that you are an effective educator in your chosen fashion so that comes yeah usually within a year or two of starting a teaching post are these posts normally full-time or someone or can someone work like a freelance clinic along the side it really varies and I'd say that certainly in our dietetics department we have many part-time staff so 
I think universities are pretty flexible places to work now. You know, most of the time when you see jobs advertised, it's, you know, there's no reason why something couldn't be a job share or couldn't be part time. You know, if something's advertised full time, there's no reason why it couldn't be shared between two people. And sometimes, you know, with the way that departments work and things, actually, they're only too happy to have somebody three days a week instead of five days a week. So, yeah, I would say definitely. And also there's the universities will kind of recognise the advantages of people holding two different types of roles so if you're working freelance or working clinically and teaching then it means you are keeping up to date more kind of organically perhaps than somebody like me who's now been in academia for seven years but you know in 20 years time you know I do sometimes worry like am I going to be so out of touch with you know what's going on in the nutrition world so I think it's really beneficial to have a mix of people who are kind of more sort of academics and research and then people who are you know, doing other jobs alongside teaching and, you know, gives the students um, that different perspective. And and talk to us then, like, what a typical day or week might look like for someone who's in the teaching world. It varies so much. And I think that's what I really love about it and why I can't see myself leaving academia now, because obviously, you know, we teach, we have a timetable. But in terms of like the number of hours that you would be having contact with students, that can really vary. So, some weeks I might only have, say, six hours of, of contact. Other weeks I might have quite a bit more, but it does vary. And the other thing with the universities compared to schools, I guess, is that we tend to just teach in two semesters. So the autumn can be quite busy between October and December. And then it's busy again, sort of end of January through to kind of Easter time. But then the rest of the year, we have other things that we can be doing. So that might be preparing teaching resources for the rest of the year it might be doing research it might be doing kind of personal development work there's just so much so for, for me I find you know no no two weeks no two days are ever the same which I really love and you also do get quite a bit of freedom in academia to pursue what you're really passionate about as long as it kind of fits within the the realms of of academia so for example I am able to write a blog article or be on a committee of the AFN or come and record this podcast during work time because it's kind of all seen as part of the academic sphere which which I really love um, and I know that not everybody is so lucky to be able to kind of just say yes to things that come their way as part of their day job and it does sometimes mean that you end up working at weekends or into the evenings but there's also that flexibility as well we get about eight weeks leave a year as an academic which is is really nice and again not everyone always manages to take it but I do <laughs> I find it is yeah I think it's so important to have a good work-life balance yeah I mean that's what I kind of really love that no two days are ever the same no two weeks years are ever the same either it's just really varied it sounds like a, an enjoyable role to have what would you say then are like the tough points or the challenges of working as a lecturer yeah, I've just realised that I didn't mention the other thing that I guess no academic really loves is the admin. There's a lot of, of admin, particularly I've noticed since I took on the role of programme lead, there's quite a lot of administration and things that I always forget about that just crop up and you suddenly have, you know, some remapping that needs doing or, yeah, reapproval or something like that. Um, marking, I guess. I enjoy marking to an extent, but it 
can you know when you've got like 50 of the same lab report to mark and you've got other things that you feel like you need to be doing that can um not be my favorite thing to do but you know that it's only usually for like a week or two and then it will be done and then you can move on with something else so yeah I'd say marking's challenging the deadlines with that as well universities I think it's the same everywhere have quite tight turnaround obviously because the students um quite rightly you know putting the effort into the work they expect their work back in a timely fashion but when there's lots of other things going on that can be quite difficult and that's I guess when you end up working at a weekend or late into the night to try and get that returned and I think sometimes like I mean one of the really rewarding things about being in lecturing is seeing the students thrive and also like you know when they tell you that something you've done has made a difference to them but sometimes I do get frustrated on the other side of things that students go I don't know what you've been doing for the last like why is our work not back yet what have you been doing and I think oh there's so many things that we do that you probably don't realize we don't just teach and we don't just mark we do quite a lot of other things as well that can be frustrating as well and I know I did read your blog article that you did for my nutrient web which I will share with our listeners as well it was really useful on there to to see the top tips of getting into teaching so that infographic was, was really good but also I remember reading a sentence where you said how seeing them graduate is like one of the most rewarding things and that you cry every time <laughs> I think I would probably cry as well yeah no I, I do I think it's partly like the music they play as well like when they're like all filing out and everyone's clapping and you see the parents looking so proud and yeah no it always gets me every time particularly last year I was about I think it was about nine weeks pregnant at graduation so I was extra teary. Yeah I mean I I think it's it is something really special though because you know that you're putting people on the path to hopefully a really successful career in the nutrition space so it's a, a really rewarding job by the sounds of it. Yeah and it's incredible to see what students go on to now things have changed so much even in the last kind of three years since the pandemic and you know every year when I do my well several times a year we do like a open day kind of presentation and we talk about graduate destinations and yeah every year I'm updating with you know different types of destination and different um companies that students have gone to work in and that's what I really love as well that it's just such a growing and evolving industry for both our nutrition and our dietetics graduates so yeah kind of can't wait to see what they will go on to now they're all sort of starting to apply for jobs for after they graduate what what sort of tips do you have for those newly qualified professionals in terms of sort of where to look for jobs at at the beginning just just in case there's any nutrition professionals in training listening in yeah so I think it's definitely become a lot easier in the last few years there's some really great forms who are sharing nutrition jobs really openly so um if you don't already follow zoe griffiths on twitter and instagram and she's just started a bit of her website where she posts jobs that are suitable for nutrition graduates and definitely follow zoe i think her twitter handle is at zg underscore nutrition so she's a brilliant person to follow there's lots of other groups as well on Facebook and Instagram so nutrition graduates for example are a really great forum it's not just for graduates I'd say it's also for students who are you know coming up to graduation what I really love about some of these groups is that people will not only they'll share jobs in their organizations when they come up but also people can post in them and say oh I've got an interview at such and such a place anybody got any advice and 
people always reply or say like you know dm me i had an interview there last year i didn't get it but i'm happy to share with you my experience and i just think it's such a lovely field to work in like i think well i don't, I don't know what other fields are like but i just feel like it's such a supportive field to be in in nutrition and dietetics everybody kind of wants other people to succeed and there's lots of others there's nutri tribe there's uk nutrition mentoring on facebook as well all just really supportive groups where people you know happy to give advice you know for free for nothing in return which i think is lovely so i would just get on all those groups set up social media pages twitter and instagram it doesn't matter necessarily if you're not wanting to post yourself but just being there and maybe engaging with other people's posts and getting to know people in in the different spaces that you might be interested in working in is really key linkedin as well is always going to look there i think and also it's really handy so that i can see what everyone's doing when they graduate if they don't if they forget to tell me because i just love seeing when people get a new job and see their their sort of journey through different roles it's it's wonderful thank you that's that's really really useful advice so this podcast is all about nutrition business secrets if you had one best secret that you'd like our listeners to take away today what would it be i would say probably to not necessarily have yourself on a on a set path i mean i definitely never saw myself becoming a lecturer or a program leader for a nutrition program when I you know embarked on my nutrition degree or when I graduated and I think being open to going in different directions and taking opportunities that might not necessarily feel like the perfect fit at the time but being open to them and then thinking you know where could that lead me next is is really important for nutrition and dietetics professionals things have changed so much in the last three years let alone the last decade so I mean who knows where we'll be in kind of another decade in the nutrition and dietetics world but I think just keeping a really open mind and you know if that first job that you get when you leave university isn't your dream job that doesn't matter and it's going to still give you skills to take you somewhere really cool in the future and just you know believing that is is really key. Thank you that's really really good advice. So thank you so much for joining us today Kathy. wishing you all the best for your maternity leave which I know you're just thank starting. You. It's been lovely to have you here. I oh, know thank you for having me.